Coming up on Philosophy Talk. The surf is up. The sun is out. Summer is on. It's our fourth annual summer reading list. Do you have a book? Y- yes, I have. I took one with me this morning. What is it? The Odyssey by Homer. We're changing the order we do things. Read to me first, kid. Then we make love. thing about summer? Catching up on books you've always meant to read. What books should thoughtful people be reading this summer? Our fourth annual summer reading list, coming up on Philosophy Talk, after the news. Welcome to Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. Except your intelligence. I'm John Perry. And I'm Ken Taylor. We're coming to you from the studios of KALW San Francisco. Continuing conversations that began at Philosopher's Corner on the Stanford campus. Today, it's our fourth annual summer reading list. Ken, I still haven't finished all the reading I planned to do last summer. I know the feeling, John. Yeah, summer always seems like a long stretch of time when I'm planning for it. But whenever I look back on it, it's always, where did summer go? But hey, hope springs eternal, right? This summer, I will get through that summer reading list. Let's face it, Ken. The book is rapidly becoming a thing of the past anyway. Eventually, the only place you're going to find a book is in a museum. Oh, John, I don't think that books will ever disappear. As long as there are stories to be told, arguments to be made, scandals to be exposed, and historical events to be interpreted and analyzed, there will be books to be written, and there will be people to write them. Some things just can't be said in blogs or tweets or YouTube videos or even in feature-length films. Well, I didn't say people will stop writing books. What is disappearing is the book itself, the kind of thing you hold in your hand and put on the shelf. The book is a tangible, physical thing that you can drop in the bathtub and spill coffee on. That's what it's on. It's on its way out. As the book goes, so goes all the great physical storehouses of books. Eventually, instead of libraries, you'll just have the whole world of books right at your fingertips. You won't need to lug around a huge three-volume edition of Proust all summer in order not to get around to reading it. You can just not read it on your laptop or your iPod or that fancy new device from Amazon. Uh, the Kindle you're talking about. Yeah, the Kindle. You'll be able to get access to any book, anywhere, anytime. And you won't need to kill a single tree to do it. Gosh, John, that, that's a depressing thought. You got something against trees? No, no, no. I love trees, but I love books, too. I mean, I love tangible, physical books. I love the feel of a book in my hand, the sound of pages turning, the smell of old books lovingly bound, and, and I love to browse in bookstores. You know, when I was young, my wife and I, before my, my life became way, way too complicated, uh, my wife and I used to spend hours and hours just hanging out in bookstores. It, it was one of my favorite pastimes. We used to judge a city or a neighborhood partly by the quality of the bookstores they contain. I I admit that now I mostly buy my books online, but you know, I really don't feel good about that. Well, can you surprise me? You're usually such a gung-ho gadget guy. Now you sound like a sentimental Luddite. 
Maybe technology will actually save the book, not the book as a concrete, physical, page-turning object, but the book conceived of as a way of presenting ideas. Uh, how would that work? I don't follow you. Well, just, just consider newspapers. Well, newspapers really are disappearing, faster even than the book. Yeah, but newspapers are disappearing, but they're reappearing in a new digital form. They're, they're moving online. And online newspapers are way more engaging than printed newspapers. An online newspaper gives you not just a static story, but video and real-time blogging. Stories can be updated constantly. Readers can interact not just with the author, but with each other. With an old-fashioned print version of the newspaper, you get none of that. Uh, and you think that something similar might eventually happen with books? Oh, why not? It's so exciting to think about. Well, because books are different, John. Books are meant to be held, to be curled up with by the fireplace. I can't really imagine curling up by the fireplace with my laptop or my iPod or, or, or a Kindle. You're really a tree assassin, Ken. You're, you're burning them in the fireplace while reading books made out of them. My goodness, you're a man of the past. But at least we agree on this much. The kind of ideas that drive people to write books will always be around, and via one platform or another, those ideas will reach the reading public. So let's not worry about the exact platform our summer reading will take. Whether you go to the beach with your Kindle and get sand in the mechanism, or go to the beach with a book and drop it in the ocean. Uh, whatever form it takes, let's get a summer reading list together. It's yeah. not the book, but books. Yeah, whether it's iPod or Kindle or Google Books that, or the good old-fashioned books that's your thing, let's, let's compile a summer reading list together. And to help us do that, we'll be joined in a little bit by Christopher Mia, manager of Pendragon Books in Oakland, California. And we want our listeners to join in, too. Do you have some good summer reading recommendations? The number to call is 1-800-525-9917. That's 1-800-525-9917. But first, our roving philosophical reporter, Rena Palta, meets some people involved in the reinvention of books. She files this report. The Sanchez Annex is a writer's collective located in San Francisco's Castro District. But uh, I did my book... Uh as an all-black cover. Inside, two local authors, Shana Mahaffey and Kemble Scott, sit thumbing through advanced copies of Mahaffey's upcoming book. Sounds Like Crazy has a bright yellow cover, binding, and pages cut to a standard paperback size. It's the product of editing, copy editing, a trip to the publisher's design team, and countless meetings with sales reps and marketers. The publishing process takes so long. This book was actually sold a year ago, and it still won't be released until October, so it takes more than a year. For as long as most of us remember, this is how stories got from a writer's head to the reader. That's changing, and Kemble Scott, the other writer in the room, is one of a growing movement of authors finding other ways to get their books out. Scott's first novel, Soma, was released in 2007 by a New York publisher. It made the, the bestsellers list, which was really quite a lovely surprise. Coming off that success, Scott wanted to push the bar for his second book. I'm doing com things completely differently, and I'm actually releasing the first edition as an electronic book, and that novel is called The Sower. In May 2009, The Sower came out on a new website called Scribd. Scribd is a self-publishing marketplace for books, magazine-style articles, poems, really any sort of written work. And this is kind of a first since Gutenberg, because from the very first time that books have been printed and published, you needed somebody else's permission in order to get your work out in book form. So what these people have done is said, you know, we're going to get rid of that permission process. We're going to remove the barriers between the writer and reader and let it go directly. 
for an already successful author like Kemble Scott, the electronic medium offers something else, timeliness. The Sower is set in the present day and feeds off some of the political themes of the past few years. The villains in this book are people who we know from the news right now. There's uh, somebody who looks an awful lot like Rick Warren, the controversial pastor, and then there's a character who is uh, a certain right-wing Republican uh, president of the United States. Scott was altering the text until the final day before the book's release, adding references to British singer Susan Boyle and swine flu. I can do alternative endings. I can do all sorts of funny things that you couldn't do with a print book because it's fixed in time. Across town, tech guru Andy Voke has worked on web-based products with companies like MTV and NASA. He's obsessed with electronic publishing and has blogged extensively on the ins and outs of Amazon's Kindle. Voke says the current generation of ebooks hasn't even scratched the surface of electronic publishing's potential. Because the book as we read them now, they're these linear things with page numbers and they move in a fairly organized fashion. But it seems like there's a lot of potential for different kinds of narrative and more interaction and more room to redefine what, what a book is. As Voke sees it, a book in digital form can make use of all the tools that websites use like hypertext you can click on or personal data you can feed into the text to produce an altered story. For me, I think there's a lot of potential for that in education. The ability to target a narrative towards, uh, to customize a narrative a little bit for individual readers, but still deliver the same basic message to an entire classroom of children has a lot of potential. So if there's no format or process to define the medium, what happens to the very idea of a book? It's different. That's for sure. It's not all going to be great. But you are going to get more writers. You're going to get more people publishing. The model will change. I mean, I, the, the universe sorts itself out. For Philosophy Talk, I'm Rena Palta. You can listen to the rest of this episode by purchasing it on iTunes Music. Or for unlimited listening, subscribe to our archive at philosophytalk.org.